the science of surface work is really what the talk is about. That surface work is a science. It's not something people do with some sort of drudgery or think that they have to do it in order to be involved in the group. It's the science of liberation. Without service work, there is no enlightenment. Service works within the group context, and this is continuation of the talk I gave a couple of weeks ago on group service, eliminates or defeats selfishness, self-centeredness, selfness, separativeness, all of these qualities that you don't want. It integrates the group into a group cooperative spirit. It produces the group dynamo, the group aura. It elevates the group closer to hierarchy, to Shambhala, the kingdom of God. It initiates the group into higher and higher spheres of activity. It produces group enlightenment. This is the science. It is the science of liberation. It's not just a matter of you serving yourself, thinking of yourselves in terms of your samskaras, your emotions and trying to fix them up, and your mental samskaras, the DB they're attacking you, all the things that relate to you personally, but it's your integration with group purpose, group evolution, group initiation. In my book, Cellular Consciousness, I spoke of seven types of wheels, and the purpose of service work, or group service work, is to evoke bodhicitta. And I explained bodhicitta in terms of these seven wheels. The first form of will is selfishness, where you use your personal will in order to acquire for yourself whatever you wish. Generally, it's fought in terms of money and sex and personal power of other people, and sometimes over the environment of which you live, or the community of which you're part of, and later on it can be a nation which you control, or an organisation. This is the most elementary form of human will. Before selfishness, of course, is just simply strong desire. Desire, of course, is sexual desire, sensual desire, desire for material things. So strong desire leads to selfishness, which necessitates more use of the mind. Strong desires almost can be just pure animal instinct, just the emotions, and all of you are aware of um, sexual urges and things like that. The desire to eat some intoxicating piece of food or sweet that is an impelling urge that comes from within you, where selfishness necessitates the use of the mind in order to impose or assert yourself over some object of desire, over some principle, over some plan in order to achieve something. These aspects of will most people are ensconced in and know quite a bit about. The next form of will is what I call self-will. And this is different to selfishness. Whereas self-will is much more mentally focused. The selfishness is desire-focused. Self-will is a concreted plan of the individual through the use of the mind in order to achieve an overriding purpose for that individual. It can be, for instance, to be the ruler of a country, or to amass a large fortune, 
or to collect a lot of objects that art dominate people in the society or to be a great movie star or sports person. So it's ambition focused through the self, utilising a long-term plan in order to achieve a goal, where selfishness generally is more up to the caprices and whims of the emotions at any particular time. And these forms of will pretty well sum up the average individual. Their desire body, their sexual urges, their desire body running rampant often, or the control of the desire body in order to achieve momentary pleasure, the buying of things at shops, clothing, whatever that you want, pretty cars, and then a more mental-focused planned achievement in order to demonstrate a personal goal on the physical plane. Self-will, for instance, will drive a person to go to university and get a high academic career and so that they can get out there in the material world and make for themselves their fortune. It doesn't have to be a fortune, I know, but you understand whatever it is, their, their life's purpose. Mental, emotional and physical urges. The next form of will, which also exists out there, because these three are purely selfish or self-oriented. They feed the ego, the I. The next form of will is what I call goodwill. And you can see this goodwill generated by average people in their communities when they're lovingly interrelating with each other joyous and happy when they meet friends and neighbours and they talk and gossip over whatever is of interest to them. But goodwill also, in a higher sense, produces community spirit, community service, volunteer labour. And it's very necessary in our society. And the goodwill is the genesis of group service. It is the genesis, therefore, of higher forms of service work. So when people come to a group like us, they come with goodwill and offer their service one way or the other. Once you have generated goodwill and groups such as this demand that first and foremost goodwill is what people have when they come to us. The next form of will is the will to love. And the will to love is the will that manifests group service work. You understand the principle of love. You understand the principle of giving and sharing resources. You become unselfish in your focus, non-separative. You start to fight your own desires and you start to give over resources to group service group purpose and many high organisations have individuals within them that have totally dedicated their lives to the service of the purpose of that organisation its aims, its charter because they're in love with the ideals of the organisation they're in love with its motives they're in love with what 
it can do in the field of service for humanity. It doesn't necessarily always have to be a religious group, of course. It can be an organisation such as Greenpeace, where they're trying to save the whales. This is the will to love. And this particular form of will is what this group here, for instance, and all similar groups, are engendering to manifest. It awakens the heart. Every individual member of the group or the most advanced members have this will to love, to love to serve each other. And you give to the other in order to receive from them what they have to give to you. It's not a conscious thing that you want to get from them. It's just an automatic gift. Automatic process of sharing. You bathe in the energy of group love. And thus a heart centre awakens. In other groups, the group love is manifested via the SP because the solar plexus, the emotional bonding, is strong. But in the form of group that we have, as you get higher in the understanding of love, you try to control the SP and use the mind and the heart's mind in order to manifest the functioning of the group. So all forms of petty bickering and forms of critical mind, all of these things go. They eliminate it. Whatever it is that prevents group harmony, group service, group love, is worked upon and cleansed. This is part of the science of service. And the science of service is the science of liberation. As you aspire to engender the will to love, and you can see quite clearly it is a will that you work upon in order to manifest more and more loving attitudes. Loving attitudes means, therefore, self-sacrifice. You sacrifice your time, you sacrifice your possession, you sacrifice your resources in order to give to the group and its service because its motives, its purpose, what it does in the field of service is that which harmonizes best with your own form of idealism, your own form of understanding of what love is. As you engender this will, to overcome your personal selfishnesses, your personal desires, in order to give more and more, the energy of the heart awakens within you, awakens with the group. It produces a dynamic outpouring of very, very serene and potent energies. And what flows into the group from the high planes of revelation, from Shambhala, from hierarchy, from the Deva kingdom, are very potent energies. The energies are greater than what any individual within the group can bear if they had to take it all within them. The group must share it. It then becomes a dynamo of group service. The energy that comes in feeds you to do more and more service. You are activated, motivated to help. You can see also that this is the only way that the Dark Brotherhood 
can be properly defeated. When you're so engrossed in service work for the group, there's very little within you that the anubai and the dark forces can find to feed your negative states, your emotionalities and so forth. It's only when you have aspects that relates to selfishness and self-centeredness, self-focus, and all related emotionalities that the DB can find access. Once the member of the group or the individuals within the group no longer have to generate a will to love, but simply automatically, spontaneously, and without reservation, manifest love in service. Then, the next form of will manifests, which is the will of love. It's the energy of love itself demonstrating as a will to overcome all impediments to enlightenment. It is a flowing force that destroys all barriers to light and love and hierarchy itself. And this form of energy in Buddhism is called bodhicitta, the mind of enlightenment. It's the heart's mind in activity. The concept of self is gone. The concept of group is all. The concept of service work is all there is. And the mind is fully focused to work out how best to serve, how best to give. What are the arenas of service? Bodhi, citta. Citta is mind stuff. Bodhi is enlightened or enlightenment. It's very difficult to properly translate. This particular form of energy, the will of love, is what most of you are still, some of you have experienced, tasted. It's a joy. It's an emanating joy that comes out of your heart as you are serving. That's its major characteristic. How can there be anything else but joy? You're no longer thinking of yourself. Misery, pain, suffering only comes when you think of yourself and what you don't have. Of course, some of the aches and pains of the body. But when you don't think of yourself, there's joy. And the highest form of will, I've given my cellular consciousness, is what I call divine will. In other words, the will of an enlightened being as they serve the all. And it's more than just a little group here. They integrated with Shambhala, they integrated with Cosmos, they integrated with the human kingdom, the Deva kingdom, the animal kingdom, all the rest. And they serve all, according to great wisdom. It is sacrificial. There's no part of this path that is not sacrificial. Sacrifice sanctifies. Sanctification makes you divine. You're crowned with the glory of the Lord of this world. Your heart centre, your throat centre, your head centre awakened through sacrifice. Not through selfishness, not through separative consciousness. Only group service does this. Sometimes people coming to groups like this, they ask the question, 
what if the teacher is a charlatan? How would we define a charlatan? Well, one who fundamentally serves him or herself in the fame game or the money game or the power game. They use their personal power to manipulate, coerce others to do things for them. It's not often said in those ways, but you can see that that person's prime motivation is their own egos, their power. Over others, their power in the world, how much fame they have out there in that world of glamour. So when you serve such a person, and there are many that do, because there are many, many beings in that spiritual world that are engrossed in this fame game, does it really matter? What I'm getting to here is that, yes, your gift to that group or to that individual is prostituted by the individual. You give money, you give resources, you donate a lot of time, energy, emotional energy and so forth, thought energy, and then later on you see it all go down the drain when eventually that individual gets swallowed up in the implosion of their own ego. However, according to the law of karma, whatever you gave in that service work, whatever you gave to that individual, whatever he received or she received, that person must pay it back, must give it back to you. It's quite simple. That is the law of karma. Next life, the life after, life after. Maybe hundreds of lives a person on this power trip will have to give back what was given to them because of their egotistic posturings. There's not one jot or tittle of the law that shall fail when it comes to the law of karma. But it behoves you to be wise, to choose a wise teacher, one that is not engrossed in such a fame, game, power play scenario. And generally such beings have lots of money, lots of resources, lots of students because the glamour is very great. It's ritzy and glitzy and Hollywoodish, full of jargon, but not very high in wisdom. Even so, within such an organisation, there's a chance for the individuals to learn to sacrifice themselves, to learn the will to love. They will not learn or manifest the will of love that way because that particular energy necessitates wisdom as its foundation. And if the wisdom is not there, the high energies cannot manifest through a faulty vehicle. So there's limitations. And eventually, if a person sees through the charlatan, they will separate and seek a better teacher, if they haven't gone or gnarled up inside in reaction and spite and whatever the emotional reaction may be. Keep on seeking. So the karma works its own reward. However, if you do meet the teacher, who is the genuine teacher, member of hierarchy, the prime characteristic of such a teacher is the words of Jesus. He who is the greatest amongst you shall be your servant. 
And whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Matthew 23, verse 12. So the other one, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What it really means is the Bodhisattva ideal. The teacher, the genuine teacher, is the example of the Bodhisattva. And that teacher is totally engrossed in serving the other and serving the group. Serves the group more than the group serves him or her. There's only one motive. Because the teacher, if the teacher is genuine, is an example of the will of love, manifesting bodhicitta. When you give to someone who is totally giving to you and to everyone else within the group, your gift cannot be wasted. It's not a possibility. The gift can only produce great beneficence. You see the difference. No power hunger there. No ego at the centre producing an empire of selfishness and separativeness. But humbleness and far-reaching wisdom. Serving the all because the all is the one. No difference. Jesus, therefore, is the prime example of the Bodhisattva, of compassionate service. Every action that he did was sacrificial in giving to the others so that they can enter the kingdom of God. Not my will, but thine be done, he said in the Garden of Gethsemane. To the point that he sacrificed utterly everything he possessed, including his body, for this service work. And everyone that walks toward a fourth initiation must do likewise. Not necessarily physically, but inwardly. Everything must be utterly given in service for the grand plan of hierarchy, or in his case, the kingdom of God. When you have a skerrick of yourself in motivation, of your concept of self, the enlightenment is not possible. The high revelations are not possible. The awakening of the head centre is not possible. The heart centre is not properly vibrant. Zealand's service produces liberation from self. This is the science. The energy comes in because your zeal is to serve. One of the things that most of you lack in your service work, in your service arena, is prevision. In everything you do, you must learn to prevision. Think out the consequences. If I put this here in the rain, will it be destroyed as a consequence of getting wet? If I leave that over there, will somebody trip over it? These are just simple examples. But you can think out more complicated examples in everything that you do. What stops previsioning is your emotions. You're busy running around emotionally. Your head is not there. Therefore you're not thinking out the consequences of your actions, the consequences of what you say the consequences of your thought. 
This prevents service work. This prevents the energy from coming down and it can mar or aberrate or prevent the group service work. Blocks off their activity because they have to pick up the pieces of your lack of prevision, your lack of thinking out the consequences. And it's the continuous thinking out of the consequences of what one does, of how one acts, that makes a master of wisdom, that makes an enlightened being. The little calculations are made continuously in the mind's eye of such a being. This produces that, and that produces that, and that produces that, and that will eventually result in that. Shall I do that? No. And when one's talking to a disciple, one says, Ah, the disciple's thinking like this, it's going to produce this, 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 and this. That's wrong. We're going to have to cut it off there. And so forth. Previsioning. Previsioning, of course, when it comes to educating disciples, takes quite some knowledge of the where disciples are emotionally polarised, their mental polarisation, their physical urges, sometimes their samskara, sometimes their past lives, and where the actions from past lives are leading to the future, future consequences. You can see that eventually the previsioning process, this aspect of your discipleship, will give you the ability to actually get glimpses of the future, Get impressions of the future. And more and more, you live in the future. And that future that you live in is the eternal now. Past, present and future merge into a unity, a oneness, all the time. So when you lack previsioning, when you don't think out the consequences, you stay in ignorance. You stay in what we call a dharma. Therefore I implore all of you to think out the consequences of your actions, the consequences of your emotions, the consequences of your lack of thought in everything or anything that you do. And this is where the group wisdom comes in. Very handy indeed. If you can't think it out properly, then the group heart, or the heart's mind of the group, will find the answers for you. Because the collective wisdom of the group is far, far greater than the wisdom of the individual. Even the Master asks his senior most disciples as to their opinions of things. The Master doesn't always look at the microscopic area of service work of the disciple. They just presume the disciple is a specialist in that knowledge and will come up with specialist knowledge in that area. Think much about this concept of prevision. Later on, you'll be like a Buddha, where every gesture, every hand movement has been thought out, has meaning. This is the concept of mudra in Buddhism and Hinduism. Nothing is done without meaning. No thought, no action. Everything has karmic consequences. What are the actions or the karma that produce that? And where is it leading to? Do you want that type of karma? Is it good or bad for the group? You can see that 
service work, again, is the art of enlightenment. No other way can you gain enlightenment. Some people think erroneously that they can cross their legs and chant on internally over and over and over and over and over again or look at a blank wall and make their minds blank that somehow that's going to produce enlightenment. That's the opposite. All they're doing is thinking of self. The word om is self, 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 self. I want, I want, I want, I want. You can see that's the opposite of enlightenment. It's the reason why you cannot get enlightenment that way. No matter how many asanas you make, how long you sit in meditation postures, only when you liberate your heart through group service is it possible to awaken the heart and bring down high consciousness. And only when you begin to prevision the consequences of your action in everything you do can you manifest the wisdom that awakens your head center. This is the science. And you can see it in little things and in big things. You do your little chores in life. You try not to leave mess around for other people to clean up. It's karma for you. Or you work out the group service, the part that you play within the group. The group activity. And the group expansion. How it will eventually affect the millions. Over time. Don't think in just of the now. This tiny little group I've got around me is irrelevant in terms of the vaster picture. I don't mean in terms of irrelevant in terms of what you do. But certainly it is only a harmonia of the vast numbers of people that will come as a consequence of these teachings, as a consequence of the books, as a consequence of your net service work and other forms of service work. You are a magnet and being developed, trained to be a magnet as you become a power vortice within you, you radiate out lines of force that will attract to you. Those out there that are the opposite polarity to your energy field and need it, hierarchy will send them to you. As you become perfected, as you demonstrate the will to love and then the will of love, so the energy pours into you and aligns you according to the north-south, if you wish, magnetic pole of spiritual and evolutionary being. How many of you spend your time previsioning? How many of us spend our time planning for the future? Working out the consequences of our actions? Making sure that the things we do are as perfect as possible so that the eventuation is the enlightenment of the whole world? Not this life, maybe five lives from now. Can you think five lives ahead? Or two lives ahead. Can you think in terms of the evolution of a whole earth system such as this and that of future solar evolution? Can you think of in terms of the evolution of a galaxy of conscious strivers, cooperative endeavour? This therefore is the way that a master evolves, awakens. Totally 
dedicated in service to the group that is that master's ashram and the integration of that master's ashram within hierarchy composed of a number of ashrams all serving harmoniously and unified together in the one vision, the one plan instigated by the Christ or the head of the hierarchy subservient to the will of dictated by the Lord of the world in Shambhala within the mother's department whatever or any of the great departments of Shambhala there is only one plan demonstrated if you wish or manifested via the subsidiary ray attributes of that plan the subsidiary stanzas of the one clause until you get to where you are at and you get the harmonious songs singing out the group service within each of your hearts integrated into the one. You can see therefore that group service, previsioning, awakens your heart and your head to become a master. And you become a master as your vision becomes vaster and vaster and vaster because more and more and more units of service awaken before your vision. More and more you are capable of doing and you see the need to vaster and vaster extent. What else is there in life worth living for? But to be a unit of service, but to be part of the drumbeat of the compassionate heart of this planet manifesting its sound forevermore throughout the cosmos. Or do you prefer to be a separate, selfish individual manifesting lots of cacophony of sounds for yourself, destructive noises taking from all around you in order to build your own little separative empire? The drumbeat of the hierarchical heart or your own separative noise. And that is what we are training you to be. A heart, is it not? This is the power of mantra. The power of mantra is to so attune your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your mind, the whole motivation for being in with that drumbeat, that om, 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 that is life itself, into the far reaches of space. Anyway, that is my wish for all of you, to serve us, to serve each other, to love each other. And Jesus said you know, that it's his one commandment that you so love each other that, as I have loved you. This is the commandment that overrides the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, just simply the teaching of love. And the teaching of love is the teaching of service. The twelve he had around him, excepting maybe Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, but he betrayed him also according to service work planning. Jesus said, Go now, after he had taken that stop at the Last Supper. Because he quite well knew what Jesus had to do, because Judas had to betray him, otherwise he could not demonstrate his life on the cross for the salvation of many, the symbolism of the fourth initiation. Everything is planned, everything is preordained, everything has been previsioned 
in his mind, in that life, of what to do. And you must do the same. As you prevision in service, you are awakened to greater service and greater and greater fields of service activity. And that's all the distinction between the average initiate and the master is that the master has a greater vision and field of service arena than the disciple. And the master is actively serving all continuously and that is the beauty of hierarchy. And we all love hierarchy. And how many of you have ever thought about a master such as Kuthumi? How many thousands of disciples such a being has? And he's able to give you visions in your meditation, comms, work with the other masters on his domain, and you know quite well all his other disciples are part of his previsioning, part of his planning. They're all taken care of according to their needs. So they all work and march together in the group service work that he has planned for them towards Shambhala and towards planetary liberation. Kudhumi, Moya, does it matter which master you want to call or use? And here we're talking about Kohans, but we can use the masters below them as well. The only difference between them and you is that they're much more accomplished in service work, much more accomplished in sacrifice of their time and their energy. They're totally 100% dedicated and you are learning to be that because you have your emotions that stifle your progress. You have the confusion of mind that makes you be attached to this or that that is not really related to the service ahead of you and so forth. So you must cleanse these. And of course, you have lots of samskaras from past lives coming through into the present from your dark days as dark brotherhood, as selfish individuals pushing through into the now that are tending to make you go that way, those selfish ways, separate ways, critical ways, and you must fight this and convert it all in order to serve better. So you fight and you convert. And those that you were allied with once, we call the Dark Brotherhood, come to try to claim you back to where they were, where you were and where they are. And you must resist. You must resist all of that slovenly, selfish, self-opinionated thoughts and activity until there's only the service work left and you then are a heartbeat pounding out the Rimnok universe and the Rimnok universe is flowing in you thus you're enlightened